BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleOmics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York, back from Chicago. Today is Labor Day. Happy Labor Day. It's September 5th, 2022. It's Monday, an unusual, special Monday edition of WrestleOmics Radio, because yesterday was Sunday, and I was in Chicago for All Out 2022. We'll talk about all, all the things that transpired this past weekend, including All Out, including the presser that happened afterward, including... Clash of the Castle, which seems very long ago now. Uh, but I'm joined today by our ring announcer, Chris Gullo. Hello. Hello. And by Jesse Collings, emerging from the, from the dark today in the evening time. Yeah, we were talking about my... I don't have an overhead light in my room, so I, I need to get like a bunch of stage lighting to really light this up. Right. The, the Brusselnomics uh, asset management team will, will uh, be contacting you soon. Um, I've got my seltzers ready. Got my seltzers here. I'm ready. I'm ready. For, I'm ready for the big media event. Um, what are we going to talk about today, Chris Gullo? I don't know. Uh, I kind of just did, did stole your spot, but go see if you can do better. Yeah. So it was a very eventful weekend. Uh, All out was this weekend. You were at All Out, uh, so we'll get your uh, feedback on being there live. You were also at the post uh, media scrum, <laughs> uh, yes. which was. Very, uh, a lot of news coming out of that, I guess you could say. Uh, we'll also discuss uh, Clash at the Castle, uh, which was Saturday, uh, WWE's event. And we'll also talk about uh, Triple H's little over an hour interview with Ariel Hawani, uh, where we got a lot of uh, yeah. confirmation on some things and some further details. So, strap in, it's gonna be a long episode. I know Jesse's got to go watch Raw, he's got to get ready for Raw at 7.45, but we'll we got a lot to, to cover here in. In, in the normal length of time. Um, so let's just dive into it. Um, there's what I think is a, a pretty, pretty great photo from JJ Williams of wrestling Observer figure four, uh, who was there last night, um, of CM Punk at this presser. Um, we're, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about this drama. You, this is, a because we're getting into things that ultimately may affect business and may affect the degree to which certain wrestlers are going to be willing to wrestle each other. Uh, the management of executives, Tony Khan's management of AEW. We're going to talk about that in addition to the, the things that directly more directly have to do with business, including pay-per-view buys. But anyway, um, this pay-per-view ends. We all get taken to, uh, to this, this room where they're doing the press conference 
which is, I gathered, adjoined to their backstage area. Um, CM Punk is first. Um, the microphone gets handed to Nick Hausman of, of Wrestling Inc. He just says his name and his outlet. And before he can begin speaking, uh, which is not captured in the official uh, AEW YouTube stream of, of the, the press conference, uh, but CM Punk just sort of stops him. And it, it, this is on Denise Salcedo's uh, recording of the press conference, but he just sort of stops him and says, I'll, I'll, I'll start it off, Nick, and, and says, who in this room fancies themselves a journalist? And, you know, asking people to raise their hand. Um, but we'll play. Brandon, did people raise their yes. hand when he said that? I didn't because I didn't want to be called on. <laughs> but lots of people raised their hands, yes. That's all. No, I was just curious to see like how people would react to that because it wasn't quite clear where he was going with it at that point. Yeah. And so I would be curious to know like how many people like were like, yes, I'm a journalist. Call on me, CM Punk, or, 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 or what. Um, but I just thought that was kind of – I mean I have thoughts on his rants, but you can go ahead. Right. Um, I seem to have uh, gotten rid of our, our, our links here. Um, let's see here. Oh, here it is. Okay. So we'll jump to, I'm going to jump around to a lot of timestamps here. There's the, the well, audio is a little bit weird for, um, for this. So I, I, I noticed everybody's voice sounds extra like deep and Darth Vader. But here's CM Punk just suddenly going off into talking about Cole Cabana because there have been a lot of questions about Cole Cabana. We'll get into all the details and the background information, but, but here's, Part of what CM Punk is saying, where he's alluding to the EVPs, presumably the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega, Punk is basically saying that they planted a story in the media that blames Punk for Cole Cabana being relegated to Ring of Honor. So here's here's about a minute of Punk's comments. The only reason the public did not see is because when I finally had to counter sue him through discovery, we discovered he shared a bank account with his mother. That's a fact. And as soon as we discovered that fact and we subpoenaed old Marsha, he sent the email, oh, can we please drop all this? Now, it's 2022. I haven't been friends with this guy since at least 2014, late 2013. And the fact that I have to sit up here because we have irresponsible people who call themselves EVPs and couldn't fucking manage a target. And they spread lies and bullshit and, and put into a media that I got somebody fired when I have fuck all to do with him. Want nothing to do with him. Do not care where he works, where he doesn't work, where he eats, where he sleeps. And the fact that I have to get up here and do this in 2022 is fucking embarrassing. And if y'all are at fault, fuck you. If you're not, I apologize. But what did I ever do in this world to, go, to deserve an empty-headed fucking dumb fuck like Hangman Adam Page to go out on national television and fucking go into business for himself? For what? What did I do? Dave, what did I ever do? Didn't do a goddamn thing. Dave is saying there, you can't hear him off camera. He said, you tell us. Um, so just, just quick background here. If you don't know, if you're just joining us, uh, Cole Cabana and CM Punk were friends for many, many years on the indies. Uh, CM Punk 
famously, infamously did this podcast, a two-part podcast on Cole Cabana's Art of Wrestling, talking about his experience leaving WWE. Part of that story includes talking about Dr. Chris Amon, who is one of the physicians for WWE, uh, talking about how he misdiagnosed him with a uh, staph infection or or didn't diagnose the staph infection. Anyway, he talks about his, his negative experience with Dr. Amon. This results in Dr. Amon suing the both of them. Uh, they ended up being acquitted of, of any defamation, uh, but Colt Cabana sues CM Punk for breach of contract. Punk countersues him. That's what he's talking about there. Um, so events leading up to this quickly. On March 20th, 2022, this is just after Sasha Banks and Naomi have walked out of Raw. The following SmackDown, we get Michael Cole burying them, saying things to the effect of, what do what they say? What, what were some of the uh, the famous meme-worthy lines that they say in, in this uh, speech? Unprofessional and uh, disrespectful. Summarily and unprofessionally yeah, walked down. out. Yeah, let the pants down. Okay. That's what it was, yep. Okay. Next day, CM Punk tweets this. It doesn't matter if your opinion of your coworker is positive or negative. Stand with them because they'll do the same thing to you and you'll wish someone helped. Trust me, you're expendable. Together, you're unstoppable. This results in the following Wednesday, a promo which, to most people, was nondescript at the time, May 25th, leading up to the double or nothing main event between Adam Page and CM Punk, where Adam Page says something about workers' rights, kind of calling CM Punk a hypocrite. This is in a live promo on Dynamite. Um, so all that happens. Uh, what do we have here? We already played that. Um, so that's all what happened. Let's, let's go to Tony Khan's comments on the EVP roles. Uh, the EVPs originally were Cody and uh, 125. The EVPs were originally Cody, the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega... Cody is obviously no longer with uh, AEW, and uh, let's let's see what what are they really up to these days? If I can find the timestamp, day one, and I think the business has grown. And uh, no, I think those guys have been key people in a little deeper on into specifically the question people that drive revenue and they help create jobs for everyone. So I'm not gonna. Uh, a you know comment on uh, what you may have heard here, but the fact is, like I said earlier this week, it's no secret a lot of professional wrestlers don't like each other, but I think now it's probably more out in the open than it's been in a while. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing for the pro wrestling business, given what the product that we produce is, and it's wrestling matches, and it involves tension and people wanting to fight, and people know there's a lot of people that want to fight each other around here now, and, and I don't think that's terrible. Hey, I would just like to dive a little deeper on into specifically the elite and the contributions that they've had to your company as EVPs and helping you get the company off the ground there. And as you've brought in different attractions throughout, roles have shifted in in some degree one way or another. Where do they currently stand within your regime here in AEW? Have their roles changed in any capacity as some of these things have unfolded? Uh, No, I think those guys have been... key people in in the planning and the organization of the shows and and involved in the business from day one and i think the business has grown and i've had to take on more but i think those guys have taken on strong roles and you saw tonight what an amazing match they put together on screen and 
they have huge behind the scenes contributions in, in terms of the business and um, different aspects, whether it's Kenny and video gaming and, and, you know, important revenue streams that we're driving and the young bucks and, and many things, mentoring and uh, the leadership they provide. And, you know, it was a big milestone tonight. I don't want to take it lightly. Like, it's very cool to me that Kenny Omega is the first triple crown champion in AEW history. I think it's really cool to have somebody who's been the world champion, a tag team champion, and now the first trios champion. And it's a very cool way for Kenny to come back. And I think Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks is one of the best acts in professional wrestling and behind the scenes, incredibly valuable people too. AJ. Okay. Did you get any, any sense there of, of what, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks do in their roles as EVPs in that that response. Only that Kenny is really involved in the video game. Yeah. Right. So there was a report. I want to say Dave reported it a while ago, a year or two ago, kind of when it was kind of basically defining what the EVPs do. And what I the what I've always I've heard from people is that Kenny is very involved with the video game. That's like his like office job, essentially. Matt Jackson is involved in merchandise, which makes sense. His his wife, I believe, runs the merchandise. Correct? Her yeah. title is Nick, Chief Marketing Officer, I believe. Yeah. And Nick Jackson handles Dana Massey. Yeah, and, and Nick Jan, Nick Jackson's like I guess he's I don't know if he's paid for extra for whatever, but he handles BTE, being elite. Mm-hmm. So they're like side projects, but they're not necessarily in it what you would consider like maybe like an executive capacity. Yeah. Um, yeah. My, my read is that, you know, and I've, I've said this before, it's kind of the original sin of AEW is that they had to start it by enticing Cody Young Bucks and Kenny Omega to come to this new company and give them some sort of promise that they would have control um, and that they would ha- have employee roles that would give them additional benefits, probably including health insurance and perhaps other benefits. Um, but it's not real clear to me what, what they do that reflects what a normal executive vice president at a company like this would do. Um, which sounds like maybe CM Punk has a similar read when he you know, calls them people who are not suited to, to supervise a target or something like that. Um, okay. So yeah. this comes from Steve Mulhausen, if I can put it on the screen, um, who reports... He says, according to sources, there was an altercation between CM Punk and the Young Bucks early Monday. The Bucks confronted Punk about his comments at the scrum. It did get physical with Punk throwing punches at least uh, at one member of the Bucks. A number of people intervened to separate everyone. More to come. Uh, Then he tweets just a couple, just like an hour ago. Uh, Steve Muehausen is from DAZN, by the way. Uh, Sources, the animosity between CM Punk and the Young Bucks began first uh, around the all-out 2019 pay-per-view, when they were trying to get Punk to come out of retirement, the Bucks felt slighted and were upset, and it's been slowly bubbling since, and ultimately led to what happened early Monday. Uh, Punk did, it comes to mind, Punk made some comments somewhere, right, that uh, s- that somebody was texting him, and it, it seems to have been the Bucks uh, mm-hmm. at some point before he came to AEW. And he thought that that was, you know, not the not the most professional way to do that. Um, so there's that. Uh, there's a uh, there's something that just dropped from uh, I don't know. I can't tell if this is from Fightful or from the Wrestling Observer site. I'm reading it on the Observer site, but it there's says a, I, there's a teaser from Fightful. Oh, go ahead, Jesse. 
It says, according to multiple sources that lined up with some of Fightful's reporting, there was a fight backstage afterward with Punk allegedly starting things by swinging fists at the Bucks' Matt Jackson. Punk's trainer slash friend and AEW producer Ace Steel threw a chair that hit the Bucks' Nick Jackson in the eye. Omega was also involved with Steel, grabbing his hair and biting him. The way that's written does not indicate if Omega grabbed Steel's hair and bit him or Steel grabbed Omega's hair and bit him. But that was the lady that just dropped from, from Fightful. So other people have pointed out that there's, you can see at one point, while Tony is taking questions from the media, um, there's a security guard who's standing there at the presser who runs to the back in a big hurry. So presumably this was happening while the press conference was still going on, while the CEO of the company was in a press conference. Because Punk was first, he returned to the back, and it sounds like this uh, this physical conflict ensued soon after. Um, yeah. We do have a we have a super chat while we're on this topic, so might as well ask it here from uh, Ryoga three sixteen. Given Punk verbally and probably physically attacked the EVPs, shouldn't he be punished for going against an executive, or is this all the work? So let's let's go. I don't believe any of this. This is work. Um, Agreed. That's that's not my read. I think the MJF parts of it were work. Um, I think there was, this is my read, okay? This is not information based on something that I was told. I believe the MJF thing was, I, 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 I'm suspicious now, too, that, like, you know, it, it does line up. I think I was DMing this to Jesse last night. It does line up to, to be just about 90 days since he was last on television. I wonder if he was quietly suspended for 90 days. Anyway, my read is that very few people knew what was going to happen from that point on, from June 1st onward with with, with MJF. Um, if you tried to, to bring up MJF, you were quickly shut down by, by people at AEW. Um, and I think a lot of people were all also just left in the dark. Right. But I think they, they knew where they were going and they were probably going to have him come back on at all out. Um, which is just about 90 days after, uh, I don't think the, the no showing of the meet and greet at double or nothing weekend was a work. I doubt it. Um, I'm sure Wardlow is legitimately not happy about his big win being overshadowed. Uh, maybe MJF went further than he was expected to with some of his comments in the promo on June 1st Dynamite. But anyway, I don't believe any of this is work. Certainly the Colcabana stuff is not a work. And I don't believe that any of this, any of these issues between Punk and the Young Bucks and, and Kenny Omega is a work. Uh, why? Uh, it's hard for me to, to explain why I just have this, this, you know, intuition that, you know, sure. There's, is there money to be made in, in a, in like an FTR and punk and young bucks and, and Omega match? Sure. Is there, is there money to be made in a punk versus Kenny Omega match? Definitely. Um, but I don't think this is a work. Um, Dan Kugler has a super chat too. Just asking, what are the ramifications? I didn't address. I didn't address the first part of this question. Oh yeah, sorry. Um, that oh, by by goal. Um, so um, the, the the first part of the previous super chat though that like shouldn't there, shouldn't there be consequences essentially right like uh, I was having a quick talk with with Dave last night uh, that you know when. 
in the last couple of years that I was wrestling, I was sort of coming to this opinion in a, in the, in the face of like a very scripted WWE environment where everything is super controlled and everything feels super fake. You know, the matches have to be a work and the matches can be these, this great performance, right? But why do the promos have to be a work? Why can't the promos just be as real as, as life? Um, that's sort of some ideal that I have in my head. I don't know if this if this works out great in practice. That's a different different issue. But but AEW is turning into something like like that, where and there's a lot of things to get into here from like Tony's effectiveness as a, as a manager here. But there's clearly a lot of personal feelings getting hurt in the course of this. Um, and is it going to be worth it when you're going to end up having you know, a big money match, you probably want to book a punk, a punk versus Kenny Omega match. You probably want to book a, a punk versus Adam Page match. By the way, I don't, I don't believe that the Adam Page stuff is a work either. Um, don't come at me with, 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 it's probably all work. Uh, this, 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 a lot of this stuff is not a work. I told you the, the Cody thing was not a work. It's not a work. He's in WWE now. Um, yeah. I think, uh, to both this super chat and, and Dan Kukler's, uh, Super chat. What are the ramifications of Punk starting it? A, a few weeks ago, we found out that Eddie Kingston, you know, pie faced Sammy Guevara after right. not liking a promo segment, and you know, Eddie was suspended. I don't know how, if we know how long he was suspended for. Um, and I maybe like assume two weeks. he might have been he might have been fined as well. Um, and I, and I so think that's, part of the punishment was evident in, in the pay per view as well. Sammy Guevara and Eddie Kingston were on. The pre-show, the pre-show, the right? Zero hour or whatever, whatever it's called. And they were supposed to wrestle each other at all out. That was originally right. the plan, and obviously they ended up wrestling different people. Um, and I presume probably that worked out better. Show, I presume they were on the main Eddie. show, and them being on the pre-show probably means a lower payday for them. Mm-hmm. And so that's at least a precedent, and that that is, and that's something you know. I think you know both Eddie and Sammy through their respective uh, outlets have both kind of said that we're, we're, we're over it. We're fine. Like it was dumb. Eddie admitted that what he did was wrong. And he shouldn't put his hands on him was this, what punk did, you know, punk is a much, much bigger star than Eddie Kingston is. Oh, but this is, seems to be, you know, the reporting about this backstage fight is, is somewhat accurate. This is far more significant than Eddie just pie facing Sammy. We're talking about punches being thrown and not in with, you know, the EVPs, who are bigger st- big stars on their own right. Um, so the precedent would be set would that Punk would have to at least be suspended. Um, After you just got him back from injury, just put the title back on him. And, I mean, this is the and thing. he's already just gone into business for himself. He's already just gone on television and called out Adam Page in a totally, you know, rogue moment where Adam Page was not about to come out for an angle. And... Look, and to get to your point about like, you know, this is AEW's attempting to kind of cultivate controversy in some certain ways or at least capitalize on real life controversy. Punk is probably going to be on on Dynamite Wednesday and it's probably going to be one of the biggest. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to speculate on what the rating could be, but it seems like it would be there's a huge amount of interest in in watching Dynamite this Wednesday. Not to mention he's even take the whole press conference aside. He's got this feud with MJF, which should be the hottest thing in the company. Yeah. Um. And just something else to add to that, to to the to what Tony also seems to be embracing that. Look, it's it, we we promote fights here. 
he doesn't say it this way, but yes, they're fake fights. It's a work, but we promote personal issues of conflict that are resolved in matches that people pay to see. Um, the, the problem is that complicates the difference between pro wrestling in this case and, and UFC in this case is that in the UFC, you, you, you get to actually punch your opponent in the face as hard as you can in, in the culmination. Uh, in the case of pro wrestling, you have to cooperate to produce the most dramatic match possible or whatever your intention is uh, and do it safely without terribly injuring your opponent. If I could touch on that, he brings up, you know, oh, the 90s people were there was a lot of no one hated each other in the 90s and all that. Yeah, there was a lot of, you know, you hear about the click and and Bret Hart and all that. But the difference is there was some type of quality control. Now, you hear of a lot of drama in the WCW locker room and there was no quality control. And I mean, that just spiraled like there's there has to be some I mean, when EVPs and a coach is involved with an altercation. That's just bad management. I've been a manager in multiple different industries. That's just not like, that's not good when executives and managers are getting in altercations with employees. Yes. I think the, the comparisons to the nineties are not, not great analogies. If this was the nineties, first of all, there'd be no press conferences. Uh, secondly, Anything that happened, it would be harder for it would be harder to assume that a larger portion of the audience is aware of what's going on. It's a lot as further on we get in time, the more the internet is ubiquitous in people's lives, the easier and and still not completely. There's still there's there's a large portion of fans who are aware of what happened last night and are aware of these reports that are coming out. Um, If this was the 90s, a very, very small portion of the audience would be aware Still today, there will be some portion of the audience on you know Monday night or Wednesday night in Buffalo when they do dynamite and we're there. There's going to be a lot of people who are still not aware of this. It's just a, you know I don't I don't know how to describe their engagement, but they're going to go to the show and they're not going to. But a lot of them will be aware of of what's happened. Much much greater a portion than would have been aware in 1997 when Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels are pulling each other's hair out in the back. Um, what does that mean? It means that it's easier for this to be translated into business. Um, I think MJF being as big a star as he is, is a great example of that. If, if that, this whole drama around MJF in the last three months, if that, if this had happened in 1992 or 1997, it would not have made MJF into a biggest star as he's, he is after last night. Uh, because just people wouldn't be aware enough about it for it to result in, in such, such an emotional response which you heard from the crowd. And by the way, I, 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 you know, I was, I was there live. I was up in the, up in the suite uh, with, with the voice of wrestling people and the, the pop at the end of the night when MJF reveals, you know, he takes the mask off and all that spoiler alert, um, enormous energy. I I've seen the clip. The clip does not do it justice in terms of how electric the response was enormous. Um, but yet media changes all this. Marshall McLuhan was right. Um, that's all I have to say for now. Go ahead. Somebody else talk. I think that um, I like, okay. So the nineties, like Brian said, most people wouldn't know about the click or WCW. And, and like a lot of that stuff was bad. Like people can say like, Oh, in the nineties, you know, people were doing this and left and right and backstage. Like that doesn't make it good because it happened during a popular time in pro wrestling. A lot of that stuff was a negative for the industry. It burned people off of it. It, 
you know, handicapped careers that were promising, all these things. Like, it's not like it's a positive thing just because it happened in the 90s. Listening to Tony's kind of reaction, he addressed it later, and you played that clip earlier when he kind of talks about, you know, there are real feelings involved, and, you know, we, we people know that people are fighting. A lot of people know that now. He seemed, like, non-pulsed by everything that happened. I, When I was watching the, the presser, I, I was like this is a disaster. He's got to like tackle punk to keep him from, from talking. Like they need to get him off the screen. Like this is a, a nightmare for AEW. It's going to destroy the company, all this stuff. And I was seeing, you know, various takes on social media and I, it's like, maybe I'm overreacting to how bad this seems to be. Uh, and wow. something I, something interesting, like, okay, we talked about the nineties, but uh, an interesting point that was raised to me today was the UFC, which I think, Tony is inspired by in a lot of ways, which makes sense because they're an extremely effective sports models and, and use a lot of traditional pro wrestling elements in their promotion. But if you watch a UFC press conference, Dana White, John Jones, Conor McGregor, who, you know, whoever you want, their biggest stars, they all yell at each other. They all insult each other. They all are what you consider completely inappropriate and unprofessional with each other. And obviously that's a very successful business model. And so I can see Tony sitting back and saying, oh, yeah, you know, if people know that these guys really don't hate each other or if people know that these guys really hate each other, that's just good for business. That's going to help drive up our, our revenue. That's going to help create interest in their next big match. It's going to lead to bigger television ratings. He seems like he's just kind of accepting all the ego and politicking as part of the realities of running a major wrestling company. And he seems interested in exploiting the kind of mass interest people have now in backstage politics and, and things like that uh, in a way that no other wrestling promoter really has before. And it's definitely a, a gamble. Um, I guess we've been going all around here, but to try to address the last two super chat questions about the consequences, I mean, there's clearly going to be different consequences. And Jesse kind of mentioned that in terms of comparing the situations of Eddie Kingston, Sam Guevara to what's happened with CM Punk or what hasn't happened with CM Punk in terms of there being a punishment. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know there's going to be different consequences for different people and that's not fair, but that's probably what's going to happen. Um, personally, like I, as I was sitting there, it was kind of dawning on me that if, if that was almost anybody else, uh, they wouldn't, it, the, the, the wrestling public, the wrestling fan public, the, whoever it is that pays attention to news like this would not receive him as, well, if he was almost anybody else, he would just be an asshole. But I still find something likable about him, even in these moments. I don't know if it's just the way he speaks. I think he's a really compelling narrator of moments like this. I think, you know, the, the podcasts that he does with Cabana in 2014 are just some really compelling storytelling. Uh, I think they're, you know, it's, it's one of the greatest podcasts maybe of any genre ever. Uh, and in, in some ways this felt like an, ins a, a latest installment of that. Uh, well, and he's a complicated character that, that you did. I'm not saying like he's in the right, but he gets away with it on sort of like an emotional level with me and maybe with the wrestling public and maybe you shouldn't because he is this likable star still. Well, there's a reason, Brandon, he's a very successful professional wrestler. He's very charismatic. 
and that charisma that makes him popular as a wrestler and makes him such a, a engaging promo as a wrestling performer, you know, carries over into this setting where his honesty and his brutal, you know, uh, assessment of things and the fact that you don't think, I mean, I think he's kind of bullshitting people, but he's not bullshitting people in the way that most wrestlers do in that kind of presser. I, he's being I mean, very I'm, transparent I'm, with his own thoughts. Yes. Yes. And, um, I mean, I don't take kindly to him getting up there like a lunatic and acting, trying, essentially trying to intimidate the rest of the, the media that was there. I thought that was totally inappropriate. And I can be as critical as anyone of the wrestling media, but it's a hundred percent not okay to get up there without even taking a question and just bashing members of the wrestling media and calling, you know, everyone essentially liars and, and people who don't care about the truth or anything like that for something that he clearly is very insecure about, which is his relationship with Scott Colton. Um, and so like, I just, to me, that stuff doesn't fly. Uh, so how about this in terms of consequences? What would happen, do you think, if Tony Khan what, – what would CM Punk do is what I'm trying to get at. If Tony Khan suspended him and fined him heavily. Might not come back. Hold out. I think the – then it's like here's somebody who's clearly very prone to conflict, uh, maybe overreacts. And if, if he's punished by his boss, maybe that shatters that relationship. And maybe you don't have your top star anymore, which is kind of a, a, a vicious cycle. Um, yeah, I think, you know, it's really interesting because punk from what we can gather from yesterday, punk is not a guy who is here because Tony Khan is paying him a lot of money and he wants to make a lot of money, you know, just showing up and and working as, as a wrestler and he wants to be a top star for all of his criticisms of, of the EVPs. They do at least come from a place or they appear to come from a place where Punk really wants the company to be very successful and he really wants to make a big difference in the wrestling industry. And he felt like EVPs and Hangman or whatever, his enemies in the company, are holding him, are holding things back with their inadequacies. And I think that's pretty interesting because if he was just a guy who was just wanted to make a lot of money in wrestling and he liked, you know, having the world title and things like that, like if he was like Brock Lesnar, like I don't he wouldn't really care. He wouldn't, you know be out on this press conference, you know, yelling at things. This, he does, it does come from the perspective that he wants the company to be really successful. And I think that makes it more interesting to see like, will will he just take his ball and go home? Cause he feels like, you know, he was disrespected by Tony Khan if he gets suspended or something like that. Um, I seen that be less likely because he does seem at least on the surface, very committed to making AEW successful. And I think that is an interesting aspect to this whole thing, which is, it's coming from a his passion for this in a lot of ways seems to be coming from a place of concern for the long term aspects of the company. Yeah, I just say I think if he just shoots on the Cole Cabana situation, doesn't bring the EVPs involved in this or Adam Page, I think it's a much different conversation. It's a guy Definitely. that probably was just frustrated with a lot of questions and and answered it. And it's a typical AEW post media scrum, <laughs> like, you know, just one question that kind of garners a little attention. Um, and, and, he did it. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Read the super chat. Well, I was just going to say here, uh, just, uh, uh, Stilio Latino. Thank you. Uh, asked how could uh, Warner brothers discovery react to the AEW drama? It's one of those things where like, I think, well, maybe it matters. Maybe, it, maybe it's too, too low 
on the radar. Maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it doesn't matter at all. It's just like, what, what ratings do you deliver? Um, but there's some other, maybe at least more general way that I think this, this could affect things negatively for, for AEW's general values. You know, uh, the, I think I've said this before on, on WrestleNomics, is that there's this is like a Scott Galloway thing. The, the, the brand is a composite of three things. It's the quality of your product and services. For AW, that's, they're doing pretty well there. Um, it's the effectiveness of, of your communication. So this would be like with your fans, the messaging. Do you deliver the matches that you advertise? Do you, do you clearly communicate uh, with fans? Uh, I'm sure there are some uh, some complaints that people could, could think of here, but not that bad of a job at least, right? And then it's the, the behavior of your executives and talent. Um, and this is this is clearly a negative for that. Um, but it's pro wrestling, and, and does this you know in, enhance it in some way that offsets it and more? Um, I don't know. It's definitely made our job here today a lot more interesting. Um, I thought it was... You know, a lot of people have been messaging me because they knew I was at the, at the press conference last night. And I've been telling them, yeah, it was a good pay-per-view. It was uh, an even more memorable scrum presser. Because uh, it was, you know, I don't know. I, I, maybe I, I try to, like, or I just sort of consume this stuff in a more meta way or in a meta way in addition to the content. But, I, you know, it was it was a very compelling, captivating moment. The biggest thing to me would be if... Warner Bros. Discovery, if someone in Warner Bros. Discovery has a either affinity or relationship with CM Punk, and we've seen that before, that the biggest stars in certain programs have partnerships and deals and relationships with the network that may be not open to everyone on the roster. Uh, I could see I'm that. Sh- I'm sure they are familiar. I'm sure people who AEW talks to at Warner Brothers Discovery on a mm-hmm. regular basis, I'm sure those people know who CM Punk is and, and yeah, CM is I'm, a I'm star. I'm talking about a direct relationship perhaps between Punk and someone at Warner Brothers Discovery. Um, and then that Punk's assessment of the company reflecting negatively um, back on AEW, I think, would be something. I mean, look, in the short term, which would be like the Dynamite this week and perhaps maybe the next pay-per-view or, or the Arthur Ashe show, whatever, you know, their big matches are going to be in the short term. I see this as a positive for AEW's business. A lot of people are talking about them today. A lot of people are excited to see what's going to happen on Wednesday. Um, To me, this is more of a medium or long-term risk where people are very unhappy working in the company. People are very um, uh, upset with the, you know, they feel like they're being treated, you know, certain people are being held to a different standard, all of these kind of things. Those would be negatives. But in the short term, I see this as a, this is a immediate positive for AEW. Um, is the risk of the short-term gain worth kind of potentially alienating people on your roster, alienating some of your biggest stars, people synonymous with the company like the, the elite are? Um, probably not, but at least a moment, I'd see this as a positive. Um, one thing I wanted to add, just a lot of people have said this today. Oh, you know, like if I got into a fight at my job with the, my boss or, or an executive vice president or things like that, it would be, you know, it'd be different. I mean, this is the entertainment industry, right? This is an, there's, and there's a reason there's many, there's all sorts of Hollywood gossip columns and things like that. This, this stuff happens in the entertainment industry, wild and crazy things happen in the music industry. They happen in the movie industry. They happen in television. They happen in pro sports. There's, there's fights in NFL training camp between sometimes between prominent star players all the time. And yet 
those businesses all keep going on and make money and they don't implode. Um, it's not a good thing in this isolated incident, but it's not necessarily something that you can draw a comparison to towards like a more typical job that people have. I guess, are we getting to the, who's, um, to like a Bob Knight situation here where is he the one there's a, there's another basketball coach though, who like in the nine late nineties, like choked one of his players. Am I remembering? This yeah. Correctly? Bobby Knight would be, he headbutted one of his own players. Um, and he had, there are a lot of instances of, of abuse and violence. Yeah. There was like a little Latrell Sprewell. Yeah. Latrell Sprewell strangled his coach, PJ Carlismo in the nineties. Um, anyway, there's, there's clearly lines that, that would, if, if you're not a big enough star that, that aren't good, good to cross. But anyway, um, yeah, I, uh, we have other super chats here. How, I mean, how, we, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Well, so we do have a couple if we want to keep rolling with them. Um, go ahead. Well, I, uh, I have one other question to, to, yeah. Uh, uh, just got on here from Easy Attack. Uh, how was your weekend, Brandon? Ha 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 ha. Uh, I'm doing an ad car analysis of AEW this Chris month. Ely. Yep, yep. Russellnomics. If you don't know what that is, just read the article, Chris Ely. Uh, yeah, so uh, anytime our, Chris puts an article on Russellnomics, they're great. Uh, and yeah, the ad car, <laughs> the ad car analysis is about management. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know like, what that is? Are you familiar with that? I, I'm, I'm a little familiar with it. Yeah, I've, I've read. A, I had to read a lot of manager books and go to seminars. And everything. Like I said, I've been a manager of people. So this situation, like, I'm very intrigued how it's going to be handled. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. So so he, here we are. We have, we've had another presser here. I know we have other super chats, but let's let's, no. let's do this now. Uh, the media. By the way, I want to I want to mention. You know, we've been. At least Jesse has been, and I'm not not opposed to, to the criticism that the 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 wrestling media have have faced uh, after these these press conferences. So we haven't even talked about the Triple H press conference. Actually, uh, minimal applause. There was minimal applause. I did see one one eight one AWPR person try try to lead the applause at least at the end. I did I did see that, and I, I, some people definitely went along with it, but most people didn't. Um, that's more superficial. Uh, what did you, th- you've, Jesse, at least, and I think Gullo has, you both have listened to the entire thing. Yeah. What do you think about the job that the wrestling media did? Uh, me not included, because of course I did a great job, right? We'll get, we'll get to Tony's response to my question uh, in a moment. I thought this was the most impressed I've been by the wrestling media uh, from the pressers that I have seen uh, in AEW. I didn't feel like there were a lot of, kayfabe questions that were being asked necessarily the key i think where scott swerve strickland was all kayfabe stuff right that some of the talent was it. kayfabe and, and me and gullo were actually talking about this off air just it's hard like it's hard when people ask kayfabe questions for wrestlers to not answer in kayfabe which complicates things and they're really blurring the lines between kayfabe and not kayfabe with, with, with a lot of this stuff. So it's hard to tell, but I thought the questions were good. Like in general, um, you know, a lot of them were focused, you know, following up on Tony's kind of comments from the media call before the show, which he alluded to like WWE treated him badly. And he, um, you know, John Alba brought up the, the tampering, the contract tampering issue, which is something that has been reported by Fightful. Um, he kind of evaded it. And then later, Nick Hausman 
brought it up in a in a more you know, what were you referring to about your relationship with with WWE? Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he didn't he, really. He, I, maybe he got massaged by PR between. between yeah, Thursday that's what I think Sunday. happened. Is that he was coached up because he seemed like he was on the verge. He literally said, like in in the media call before the show, he said something like, "I'm not going to talk about it unless someone asks me." And then, unfortunately, no one asked him. And I was when I was talking to you about potential questions, like we got to ask him about the tampering because he was dying to talk about it um, on was it Thursday. He was dying to talk about it on Thursday, yes. but um, I think he avoided that, which is fine. I, I'm glad someone. I'm glad people asked him about it, um, and there were good follow ups to that. Uh, but I thought the questions were good. Um, I thought you know, like I said, I think Punk came out and tried to intimidate people, um, and that it maybe worked in some certain way where you know he really attack them in an adversarial way that um, no one in these pressers has really done before. And then even Swerve and Keith Lee, not nearly to the degree of punk, but, but the same way we're kind of like, you know, Keith Lee said like, I don't read social media. I don't care what you know, people are saying about it. Sw- him. Yeah. And Swerve on the opposite said like, I read every, he said, I listen to all y'all podcasts. I, I know everything that's going on with yeah. you guys say about us. And he sounded, you know, kind of personally grieving. You know, people say, talking about how, you know, people were saying that other people tag team should have it. Yep, I, yeah. I mean, I, I actually found Keith Lee and Swerve char- kind of charming during it. I understand they're kind of bullshitting with, with being in character, but I thought yeah, it was. I, a, I didn't take it to be like sincerely hostile or anything. No, like oh, no, not the way punk was. That. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I like the question. Like, I thought a lot of good questions. I thought people followed up on certain subjects, which I think is really important. Uh, I wouldn't have children there. I think I think they serve their purpose though in sense of, of, of kind of mobbing some nice easy questions for um, I, I think in, to in, break in, it up. in at least Izzy's defense she asked a question about you know people not getting along that was like a serious question I don't know if she's mm-hmm. she's 18 or not now but you know but yes AJ is awesome was there too who's like 12 it almost diffuses the situation. He asks just a so like a, a softball question, and it gets a little. I think that's why Tony wanted to end it with a question from him. Yeah, just he said, "Yeah, he's like AJ. You, you said you seemed like you had something to want to <laughs> ask, and then he asked, like, what was it like having CM Punk's dog backstage?'" <laughs> yes, um, yeah, Larry. Yeah, Larry ended the press. But Larry I mean, this dog. was this was this was an explosive presser, and I don't know. Like, obviously, Punk came out, didn't even need a question. All he needed to do was see Nick Hausman's face, and then suddenly he was off to the races. Yeah, I wonder how predetermined that was. Like, if he decided, I'm gonna, when I want me to do the presser, I'm gonna fucking lay it down. You know, I, I, I think know if, that's. I don't know case. if Nick being there is what ticked him off, or. I mean, know. he knew, like, so he knew Nick had done some improv with with Colt, which is in, extremely inside baseball. I don't know what percentage of people would would know that. It'd be very, very small. Um, so, uh, and like I was talking, you asked, like, did Nick break a big story on, on Colts? You know, and and punks beforehand and that's not really the case I, I think what i'm piecing together really is like kind a, of... in a previous press conference nick hausman raised the question about cabana i think that's yeah what he, that, that was early, that was a long time ago that was like right. when punk first came back i think okay. right yeah i, I was that a when previous paper a previous pay-per-view i think yeah and that was a question yeah. a lot of people knew is that these guys have this big feud and now they're working in the same company together and Tony admitted that he probably shouldn't have issued no comment on it. He should have just said like, "Ah, oh, you know, it's fine. Something we've addressed and, you know, we're going to be good moving forward. But, um, you know, and then Tony, obviously, he didn't talk about the tampering, but he did talk about some of his frustrations with WWE. And I think that was yes. the other big thing to take away from this, this presser. And we can, uh, we'll, we'll play that now. That's a great setup. 
So we'll go to Tony Khan being asked about the tampering. Music on that one. <laughs> um, on the media call the other day, you said if somebody asked you about something that you would go into things more in depth on it. And it was heavily insinuated throughout the call uh, based on media Listen reports as well that there may have been potential contract tampering or allegations of such. Uh, here's me asking about that further. Is there any comment that you would like to provide on that based on the media report? I'm not, I can't say what happened between anybody. I'm just, uh, you know, the, all that you may have heard, uh, you know, I can't really comment on it. I think uh, what the wrestlers and what the talent and the staff and the people here come and say to us is between me and them. And now here is arguably the great. Okay. So there's John Alba trying to ask about the tampering. And then we'll jump to, I think it's Nick Hausman uh, following up on that. Uh, I wanted to ask about a kind of a follow-up uh, sure, about your comments about alluding to contract tampering. You, you were also asked about a potential WWE AEW super show. And you said, not after the way they treated me. What happened when you, when you say something like that? How were you treated? What, what was the exchange there with WWE? I've had a number of interactions with them. And I don't know. I just, I've, I'm not... You know, I, I was super I, I've said a lot of nice stuff and and I don't regret saying nice stuff because I'm super honest about pro wrestling. And when I saw good stuff happening there, I'll be the first to say it. But, yeah, I just am not feeling the same love. <laughs> I, I don't want to get into it, but, uh, you know, uh, I just haven't felt the same uh, reciprocation that I have uh, for them. OK, um, so there's him talking a little bit about what he was alluding to on the Thursday media phone conference call. Um Anything to add there? We could we could just jump to my question about pay per view buys, which which adds more on this subject. Yeah, um, I think that's so, what that's what we're hinting at, right? Is your question, which so got him to talk more about his frustrations with WWE than these much more direct questions that we're asking him for the information right. directly, I, which I think is an interesting. Uh, I think the sequence of events led to this. Yeah, <laughs> but it's very but, interesting how that how it all uh, develops. Here we go. Have you have their roles changed in any capacity? That's not what I wanted. I thought I had it. Uh, One twenty twenty-eight. Okay. One twenty, right about there. And move on with business, and that's a part of it. Thank you. Hi, Tony. Hey, man. Brandon Thurston. From yes, I'm well aware, sir. I'm <laughs> sorry, but then for the yes, voice. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to uh, step on you. It's good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, can you tell us how this pay-per-view is selling? Uh, usually, get digital right away. Yeah, digital. Uh, so I'm I. I am going to say I don't have an exact number for you. I think it's it's probably there's a chance it's going to be the second highest all out ever. It may not be the highest all. It might be the first time we haven't hit that high. I knew last year the all time high would be challenging. There's a big difference between this year and last year. We were the first professional wrestling show and the only professional wrestling show on Labor Day weekend last year. And we were the third professional wrestling show of the weekend this year. I don't think that's a coincidence. Uh, and when I talk about things I wasn't thrilled about, um, I was a little surprised we were the third professional wrestling show this weekend, and it's probably a little bit more challenging in the marketplace um, when it becomes a little more crowded. So our performance, given you know the prior years, we never had this kind of competition, and it's kind of a first for us in AEW to see this kind of crowded marketplace. I'm not sure if this is what we'll see from now on. If it is, when the fight is brought, I will continue uh, bringing fights of my own, and I have unique ways to do that a lot of money to fight with and uh this is not a game to me this is uh my life and i don't think it's a joke uh and i take it really seriously and 
yeah, so I am very happy with the numbers we did. Given the competition we had, I was hoping that it would be the all-time high for All Out, but it, I'm not sure it's going to quite hit that. So it's the first time an AEW pay-per-view in history did not top the number before, probably. But that being said, it's still going to be, uh, again, the second highest number we've ever done for All Out. And this year will end up being the biggest year on pay-per-view in AEW's history by far for pay-per-view revenue. It won't even be close. So uh, even with full gear to come, I'm quite confident this will be our all-time high for pay-per-view revenue. It's pretty similar to the other pay-per-views this year. I think it would be Forbidden Door was an unprecedented success in the biggest debut in AEW pay-per-view history. Uh, a lot of the buys were international, and the price point is obviously a little bit lower on international. I think this would be more total buys and a higher domestic percentage, so the revenue would be significantly higher than Forbidden Door. I'd expect it to be similar to Double or Nothing, um, but All Out last year was higher than Double or Nothing was last year. Double or Nothing this year was a high all-time for Double or Nothing, obviously. I don't know if we'll quite hit that, but I do think uh, it's going to be uh, in that range. So uh, very good, given the competition that we've never faced before. This is kind of an unprecedented marker, in my opinion, but it's still the, the number is the number, and I have to face the competition out there. But when I compared myself to Jim Crockett Promotions this weekend, I think I got a taste of the same medicine Jim Crockett Promotions took. But I have a lot more fucking money than Jim Crockett did, and I'm not going to get – I'm serious. I'm not going to sit back and take this fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> the stare after he says I'm not going to take this fucking shit and like looks around for anyone to like potentially confront him on so funny right like, oh. I don't know if that's, that's the way he meant it but like no no it's just the way he looks I mean it's it's so because he starts kind of talking about the competition and how it's you know I was surprised to see that and then he goes off on his like classic Tony kind of I'm going to review every single one of our pay-per-view buys this year and talk about how they compare to year for year. And then he comes back to the competition point and then he, you know, kind of lets his true feelings go, which is that he feels like he's Jim Crockett, which, you know, obviously Jim Crockett's pay-per-views are run head to head with WWF pay-per-views. And there were a lot of games being played back in the eighties. Um, but he said he has a lot more money than Jim Crockett, which I believe is true. I don't think anyone's going to dispute that. Yes. And um, this his dad does. Yes, his dad does. I mean, even to scale. I mean, just his television revenue alone dwarf what Jim Crockett's was making. Yeah. Um, so he said that it's looking like All Out, last night's pay-per-view, will do similar to what Double or Nothing did. Double or Nothing, I believe, did 155,000 by, somewhere in that area, 155,000. Uh, the high for this year so far has been Revolution in March Hundred sixty-five thousand. What was on the Revolution pay-per-view? That would be Hangman versus Adam Cole versus uh, now Hangman Adam Cole, uh, MJF and Punk, right? Yeah, MJF and Punk. Yep. Okay. So, so anyway, we'll we'll see what happens, and uh, I'll continue to ask and try to find out. But uh, I'm I'm glad we got some some idea. Uh, that was really towards the end of the press conference. I was sort of afraid that nobody was going to ask that question. Um, there's that. If we look at cage match reception, this is sitting after 232 votes, which is, which is you know, about halfway there compared to Forbidden Door. Maybe there's another 100 votes or so to come in. But up 7.8, which would be low, which would be better than double or nothing, actually, but which would be lower than some AW pay-per-views which have reached the nines, the high eights. Um, 
so I think I would say this is within the standard range of a of an AW pay per view for a cage match rating in terms of just what, why is that important to, to think about? How much did people feel like they got their money's worth here? Uh, within the range, on the lower end of the range, though, um, you know, I I, I think he he sounded like he was ready to to spin this into like you know, okay, we were not able to use the talking point anymore that every pay per view. Uh, was the record for the, for that branded pay per view uh, because all out that that record wasn't going to be break, broken given it did two hundred five thousand pay per views or two hundred five thousand buys last year uh, and that featured the first match from CM Punk in seven years. There's only you know one time you can really do that, uh, but but now you can say that well at least this year we sold more total buys we we dr- drove more pay per view revenue for a year than we have in prior years. So that, that seems to be the, the new talking point. Um, yeah. Anything else to add to that? You're muted. No, that's, but there's a super chat from Sigizzle asking how close does a hundred million dollar gross get AEW to profit? A hundred million dollar revenue. Um, if, if, if the question is, if AEW made $100 million in a year, which is roughly what they would make in a year, probably a year like this, where I believe that they're getting guaranteed escalating TV rights fees for a large portion of their TV revenue. I think they're getting some of that is uh, ad revenue that depends on ad sales. Um, but I don't know. I don't. It's really hard for me to calculate expenses. Um, I would continue to be skeptical that or you know at least dubious that that aw is profitable until they get a significantly higher tv deal which may may happen in their next round of negotiations another another question i wanted to ask that we didn't get to was according to dave's report i'm pointing to dave he's over here is uh, he no but he was when i was sitting there you know in january 2020 they made this new deal, so they're, they're, they're not just getting the cost of production anymore, maybe an ad revenue share, but they're actually getting $43 million, you know, whatever it is, $44 million average annual value. So that's for 2020, 2021, 2022, and with an option for 2023, I believe, or it takes it to – anyway, there's a one-year option. Has that option been picked up by Warner Brothers Discovery? Has it already been picked up? If it hasn't, you just you expect it to be because that determines when they're going to negotiate. I, I've always said on here that I assume that it's going to be picked up uh, just because it's doing fairly well in the ratings. It's it's uh, ranking whatever. What is, what is what is Tony's tweet here say? He says it's been ranking number one or number two in eighteen forty nine for fourteen straight Wednesdays. Dynamite has. Uh, so I would think it's probably worth it for them to extend it for a year at probably what is just whatever their rate of annual escalation is maybe like somewhere between five and 10%. Brandy, um, can I ask, yes. um, do you think that clash at the castle in the, uh, worlds collide event had a significant intra- impact on pay-per-view buys? Tony obviously seemed to believe that they did. Right. Um, I guess I'm a little more incredulous about, those events, which are on Peacock, which don't require a purchase, really uh, having that big of an impact on the. the I, I certainly don't believe that it made the difference between 
let's let's put this on the screen. I certainly don't believe it made the difference between 155,000 buys and 200,000 buys or something like that, which if you didn't know better, you might take away from his comments. Um, maybe it made a difference in a few thousand, maybe 10,000. I don't think it was this tremendous, you know, this, this isn't the same thing as Starcade 87 and Survivor Series 87 or something like that. This isn't the same thing as WrestleMania 5 or whatever it was in Clash of the Champions 6. Um, they weren't and, running head-to-head either, which is another... No, they were on different... No. I mean, I don't think the NXT Worlds Collide thing, I don't think that means anything. Right. That was the same day, this. but a much slower profile. No, show. Clash of the Castle was a Saturday afternoon show. Yeah. Uh, but I and think, I think it's, it's something, but it's not a lot. And yeah, it's and not he's, another high, you know, $50 pay-per-view. In his response, he goes, you know, you know, there's a big difference between last year's all-out and this year's all-outs. And the answer is last year's all out was CM Punk's first match in a decade. Yes. And that was obviously the big reason that that, that pay-per-view did so well. Um, and I think I thought that's what he was going to say. And then he launched into the competition he was being from WWE. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, million Dollar Gate, according to Tony, which based on, I think we had, we mentioned in the last week's episode, if, Average ticket prices were about $125, which seems believable based on $80 being the lowest price I could find on the map. Um, that adds up given how many tickets were out there. I did, you know, the, I was, you know, walking past the box office and I did ask at one point while the show was underway, I, I went up to the person standing at the, at the box office, uh, not the person in the box office, but the person like standing at the beginning of the line. Like, can I go buy tickets right now if I wanted to? And, and they were like, yeah. So you could still buy tickets to this show. Um, I asked Mr. WrestleTix, is this the first time that tickets were so available? Like, I'm, I know they, you know, they, they finalized their configuration and then they released a few tickets here and there and whatnot. But apparently the, the Orlando pay-per-view and the Minnesota Minneapolis pay-per-view, which I think is, what is that, Full Gear and Revolution? Mm-hmm. Those were similarly, you could find some tickets available at the end. Uh, whereas maybe the others were really urgent you know quick sellouts um but anyway anything else is that everything for this uh this aw pay-per-view any other final super chats to clean up nope we we clean up all the super chats uh dynamite's live in our backyard brandon on wednesday so that's gonna be fun interesting yes john paul are you guys, are you guys going yes yeah. i'm 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 gonna buy a ticket at the box office to escape uh, t- ticket services. Um, John Pollock and Wei Ting from Post Wrestling are coming. Uh, You're not going to sit in the media section with all the, your Buffalo media friends? Is there going to be a press conference? Then no. <laughs> well, you uh, still get the media. You can still sit in the media section. I don't know. I, I, I We should disclose here. I did not pay for a ticket for All Out. Um, I did fly myself there and hotel myself. Uh, with with WrestleNomics funds, so thank you to all our supporters and listeners for allowing us to do things like this. Uh, but I did, I had media access, so so I did not have to buy a ticket. I will be buying a ticket to Buffalo though. Um, so, Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn five dollars into one hundred and fifty dollars instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code Champion One Hundred and Fifty. Then. 
place a $5 wager on any sport, you'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Moving on to Clash of the Castle. Triple H. A very different press conference from Triple H. Um... But I guess we will. What I have here is to what? Oh no! So Clash of the Castle announced sixty-two thousand two hundred and ninety-six people in attendance at Principality Stadium on Saturday in Cardiff, Wales. Remarkably, that is almost exactly what WrestlePicks found on the map. A new era, maybe a new era in this post-Vince world. The the, uh, the SummerSlam number was way off of what WrestleTix found, I believe, right? But this is pretty close. And, you know, you, you got to understand that a lot of things that happened at WrestleMania were inherited from the Vince era. They weren't completely Triple H's uh, whole plan. So that'll be interesting to watch going forward if, if WrestleTix numbers end up being, or just the, the visual look at the number, and it looks a much more reasonable number. I think I was very surprised that they announced that number. I figured they would announce a bigger crowd than they did at, for the Wembley SummerSlam. That would be the WWE patented move, which would be our show now is bigger than this legendary show from the past. I recall seeing headlines even in, you know, in media saying, you know, Drew McIntyre in front of 70,000 people will will do such and such, you know. So it was they were at least getting media to say 70,000. And here they are announcing a number that's 8,000 short of that. Uh, A a lot of comps probably, but. But this is, you know, surely a, a number that includes paid end comps. Uh, yes, but, tickets distributed is the key phrase, not tickets sold. Yes. Um, this, I don't know if I have this quite ready, but um, the cage match rating for this event, I believe is 8.3. 8.3 for this event, which would make it the best rated event, uh, pay-per-view event, PLE event on cage match uh, for WWE since WrestleMania 2015. So, a great show. Everyone can agree this was a great show. I know, Jesse, you you were foremost in, in uh, praising this show. So, I actually haven't seen all the show. I've actually only seen the uh, the Gunther-Sheamus match in the main event. I haven't it's watched anything else. I don't know if I'll watch. I don't know if I'll watch anything else on the show. Yeah. The atmosphere was... Like watching it was pretty crazy. Like when they were doing the chance for Bailey and all that, it really had a, and it really had like a mania type feel. It seems like watching it just at home. Yeah, I think the crowd was great. I think it saved a lot of, I think it saved a lot of creative shortcomings on the show, from what I saw, um, and kept that kind of special energy that people have about WWE at the moment, which that the show the company is improving. And there's a lot of optimism about how good the product can be in the future under Triple H's leadership. So here we just have the, the table from cagematch.net. It's now sitting at an 8.28. Usually what happens here is you start out at a kind of a high point and then you 
gradually get a little bit lower as more votes come in, as more moderate voters come in. Uh, but 8.28, which would tie it with pay-per-views like Judgment Day 2000. Um, but you have to go back. The, the, the newest pay-per-view on this list of the top 25 of all pay-per-views that have been reviewed on Cage Match, which they've all been reviewed, they all have a score of some sort. And, and the the newest one, other than Clash at the Castle, is WrestleMania 31. That's, of course, the the pay-per-view where it's Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar and Seth Rollins cashes it in. Um, the next newest pay-per-view is, I think it's like TLC 2020. No, it's not. That's that's lower. But like the next newest would be WrestleMania 30. I think. Yeah. These are not. These are not including NXT takeovers. I'm assuming. No, this is paper. I guess pay-per-view is. They're not including takeover. Yeah, those tech takeovers would definitely be in here if we were including takeovers as well as main roster pay-per-views. Um, I didn't find that much newsworthy about this press conference. Triple H said that I think he it was would, um, interesting that they had it. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Will we see more of these? Uh, media calls, like Tony Khan does the media calls. Triple H used to do the media calls ahead of takeovers. Will he start to do these media calls? Will he, will he do more of these after pay-per-views? I would be excited to see that. Um, not not that long of a press conference. It was certainly not the, the hour-and-a-half affair or whatever the, the all-out pay-per-view uh, press conference was. This was, I want to say, like 20 minutes to half an hour. Does that sound right? Mm-hmm. And, 30, I think it was 30, 30 minutes, 32 minutes on the YouTube. I watched the whole thing and was able to, to watch it pretty quickly. The only newsworthy things I got out of this was that he's going to talk to Bad Bunny soon about having more appearances at WWE. Uh, they're explicitly interested in having Tyson Fury have a WWE career after his boxing career is over. Which apparently it is because he's retired. Yep. And Roman Reigns came out and somebody asked him a question. I think Alex McCarthy asked him a question. I don't remember what it was, but he was silent for like 30 seconds, just stared at people and then asked him totally in character, just said, I want you to do what they didn't acknowledge me. Um, everything else was somewhere between in character and out of character. They had Gunther out there and Drew, Drew McIntyre out there and who else? It was not that memorable. Anything else to add there? Everyone applauded. Uh, it was really bad is what I'm saying. <laughs> like, uh... Some people were wearing AW gear. Or W so, gear, excuse me. Were people, kick no, out, but they, were people wearing AEW gear at the AEW press conference? I'm pretty sure no. I, I, like, right. I don't know what AJ Austin was wearing, but it was. Were, uh, no, but it was no, not that. It I was remember. a weird setting in that there was a lot of people. They showed the people gathered there, and there was a lot of them. I would say there was at least thirty to fifty. Uh, people it was a lot of people. Yeah, in that room. And, room. I don't know. Maybe there was a dozen questions asked in total. So most of these people did not ask questions. Uh, these were not like what, what I would consider, I guess, for our purposes, newsworthy questions. These were mostly like, I don't know. And I've seen a lot of, you know, people talking about what what really is this? And it is weird, right? This situation that you're in where, where you're, you might be dealt with in, in a kayfabe way. You might be dealing with somebody like Roman Reigns. You might be dealing with people like Keith Lee and, and Swerve mm-hmm. Scott who are doing this totally in kayfabe. You might be dealing with somebody like Chris Jericho, who's, who's more than willing to, to like unpack all of the creative that, that went into his, his match. Um, what are we doing there? Like, are, are you just like participating in a work or some sort of improv? <laughs> uh, you know. Are you part of the show? I mean, this, this, first of all, just the first time WWE's done anything like this. I feel like um, it was set up very similar to, I think, 
AEW's yeah. kind of post pressures. You know, it's Triple H in the Tony Khan role, and they brought out you know key people on the show who made an appearance. Some of them were big stars like Roman Reigns. Some of them were people who happen to win big matches like Gunther. Yeah. Um, all the questions sucked. Um, they were essentially all the same question, which was, "This show was awesome. What was it like working on such an awesome show?" That was basically asked ten times, and then the press conference ended. Um, I don't think the wrestlers said anything interesting. Uh, Triple H didn't really say anything interesting. Just kind of spoke. He, you know, Triple H is very friendly, and he's very, um, you know, he's a very good talker in in these kind of settings. But he doesn't really. He didn't really give off like, and he didn't reveal anything that was interesting. It was all very much like. We're happy to be here. Everyone's got to work really hard. We have a great roster. We're hoping to do this. We hope to come back here. We hope to come back to Europe. Like he's he's just in full promoter mode, which is fine to what you expect, but it's it's really not worth your time going to watch unless you're curious to me what kind of what kind of a WWE press conference it looks like. It'll be very interesting to see um, if they do come if they do do this for their U.S. pay per view shows. Um, it might actually get me to go to Survivor Series if they do. Um, which is in Boston. Which is in Boston. Okay. And uh, how the – not to say that the UK media in – like everyone in the UK media isn't like experienced to do this. But if they do have it in the United States, you'll see people like Nick Hausman, people like Sean Ross Sapp, people like Will Washington – you know, people who are going to ask, who are who are used to this kind of setting, and will ask, I think, real questions about the product, and how will Triple H react to that, and how will the talent react to that? I I, I don't think they're going to be as, um, what's the right word, uh, accommodating towards whatever WWE wants to present with this press press conference. What's give, give me give me one good question that he should have been asked, Triple H should have asked in this situation. Man, there's so many. I mean, now people didn't want to go there, but I'd ask like, you know, the the question that no one asks and you want to talk about the Hawani interview you can. I I'd, yeah. I'd ask, you know, how, do people feel safe in your company? You know, the CEO of the company, the most powerful person in the company just resigned in disgrace because uh in part because he was having a sexual relationship with many different people that work here. Like, what are you doing to ensure that those people feel safe? And the that's a question relations. Yeah, that's a question that he hasn't asked. No one's asked him, to my knowledge. Um, and we've been through an earnings call where nothing like that was brought up, too. Which is I mean, even things like the place I expect it to be brought up, but yeah. even things like Roman Reigns won again through interference. Who do you think is going to eventually beat Roman Reigns? Are you preparing for somebody to beat Roman Reigns? You don't. Have, you can ask him these questions. You don't have to live in the kayfabe world where you know he 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 might give a non-answer. But ask them. those are much more interesting questions than just praising the show and saying what was it like working in this kind of atmosphere um why wasn't the show in london why was it in cardiff you know uh there's just so many things that you could ask triple h if you were to sit down and talk to him and I, oh my god sorry no go chris go i'll just say one question that i thought should have been asked and even ariel hawani kind of danced around it he brought up nxt europe but he didn't address the mass releases from the nxt uk roster like, if you're launching a new product, why release so many talent? Like, I mean, that was a Vince-type move to just do. This was Triple H's first budget cut, I guess you could say. And yeah, Hawaii I mean, brought up NXT Europe, but didn't ask that. More questions you could ask him. Do you, 
want to get talent that's working in AEW right now, talent that used to work with in NXT. We've seen NXT talent come that was released come back. Are there people that you're looking to get eventually from other companies? Um, what do you think about NXT UK going closing? You know, is, did it end up being as successful as you wanted it to be? Um, you know, what, what, one thing I could take away endless, from, endless amount of questions. One other thing I could take away from the AEW presser that we didn't talk about yet that I think is related to this is and related to the con possibly related to the contract tampering issue is that you know, Malachi Black, I believe this was not seen on air, but only seen live in the building. Mm-hmm. He sort of did this big bow, uh, which insinuates that maybe he's done in AEW for a while or permanently. I, I understand he posted something on social media, right? That makes it sound like maybe he's leaving. Um, someone asked, Will Washington, I believe, asked Tony in the press conference, what that was about, essentially, uh, Tony wouldn't comment on it. So that makes me think that he's, you know, if he's staying, why would you make that clear? Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me. To, again, this is totally just my read and speculation, but it wouldn't surprise me if they were, t- you know, trying to contact Malachi Black, Alistair Black, whatever you want to call him, and, uh, and, and or, or if that's one person who they were allegedly tampering with. Uh, and maybe he wants to go back because, I mean, look, what has he really done in AEW? Um, maybe he feels like he can be more fulfilled in, in WWE under Triple H. Plus his wife is there as well, so. Selena Vega. Um, okay. Have you both watched the um, this this Ariel Hawani interview with Triple H? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Main takeaways. Um, there's There's multiple flavors of ice cream. None of them are comparable, better, or worse than any other. Not dif- they're just different. They're not better. They're not right or wrong. Just different. One flavor may be chocolate. The other flavor may be shit. Don't compare them. So the, the follow-up, so I don't know if you want to get into like the, the question of what you're alluding to here before. but Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll read this. Uh, this. So... This is Paul Levesque on, on Vince McMahon. He says, he, Vince McMahon, has nothing to do with the product anymore. And one of the things that he, I don't want to say outright said, but alluded to me is like, look, you're going to do things. You cannot think about how I would do things. You have to think about what you want to do and how you feel like it's best for the product. You know, I might not like it, but I understand why you're going to do things you're going to do. You have to do what you feel is right. Uh, he goes on to say later, every, this is Triple H talking, everybody would think to themselves, well, I would have done that slightly differently. You know, it doesn't mean it's right or wrong. We use the term all the time in the business, chocolate and vanilla, right? I want chocolate, you want vanilla. One of us has to pick a flavor. He, meaning Vince, would always pick the flavor. Now it's my turn to pick the flavor. It's all good. It's all ice cream, right? But it's my time to pick the flavor. And I have to be confident in those decisions. And I can't look back and say, well, what would Vince want to have for flavor? You know, because it just wouldn't be authentic then. So Helwani doesn't ask the follow-up, which I'd be dying to ask, which would be, what is one thing you want to do that Vince McMahon wouldn't want to do? What are those actual differences in flavors that we're talking about? Mm-hmm. We, we as the viewer can see some obvious differences, but... What, in Triple H's words, are the big differences between things Vince McMahon would do and things that he wants to do? And put that on the record. Yeah. If there's press conferences with Triple H after PLEs in the future, 
I guess I think that that's one of the key questions, especially if if certain metrics continue to be better in the Triple H era versus the Vince era, which they are so far. Some of them, you know, maybe attendance, definitely raw ratings. Um, I think you ask him something to the effect of, "Hey, look, ratings for Raw have been better in these months than those months." You've you've alluded to differences in creative. What do you think the biggest differences are in your way of doing creative versus his? And to me, that's not like a gotcha question. It's asking for more clarity. He, and this is what I've gotten a lot from Triple H's comments, which is he just kind of speaks vaguely about, you know, the job Vince McMahon did and the job he's going to do, and it's going to be different. But we never get any real specifics on what those that vision is or anything like that. It's all this vague, yeah, you know, I can't do the same thing Vince did, and Vince knows that, and so I'm going to go and do my vision. And But there's never really any concrete explanation of anything that would indicate what those visions actually are. We have the product that kind of shows that, but it would be very interesting to get that in his own words. So is, is, is he truly in a rock and hard place, though? Like if you're helping him with PR, what should he say? I don't work in PR, so I don't know. But if you were, what, 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 could, what could he say that would not be a detriment to the company and wouldn't make the company look bad, but would be more effective? And I, I think the value is in what would be more, more honest to the extent that it builds more trust and it also doesn't harm the company. It doesn't harm the, you know, the optics. I don't work in PR, uh, but I mean, you could be as on. You could be honest and say Vince, you know, didn't like saying the word wrestling. We all know that. That's very obvious. You know, I'm not as adverse to that, and so we've had that word on our product more often, and we think that fans like that word. So we're going to be using that more often going forward. I mean, that's just something obvious you could say that would be at least honest because it's what we've seen with the product, right? Um, they're more like they acknowledge other stuff that happens in wrestling outside of just a limited WWE universe. Um, something else you could say that'd be, I guess, more diplomatic. I think he's he's he has been for this entire time since he came back very and, and very understandably diplomatic about all of his responses. He never says a bad word about Vince. He never says a bad word about things that happened before. He's very uh, ambivalent about him stepping down, him, you know, stepping back from NXT and, and what happened there and everything like that. He's never, he's always very protective of the company, which I would be, if I was working in PR, I think he'd be doing a really good job at that. Yeah. But the media needs to pressure him on that. That's the goal they have. And, I mean, BT Sport, right, is WWE's media partner in um, UK. UK. So this is similar to like Ariel yeah. Hawani, even though he's, I believe, Canadian journalist. This would be like him giving an interview. Sport. This would be like Triple H giving an interview with Ryan Satin for Fox. It's not going to be. It's not necessarily an independent media interview it's a part it's a part, interview with a media are, partner there are some differences between Ariel Hawani and Ryan Satin but, but not in this not in this interview to be honest okay. there are in real like in as far as like their careers in, in, in journalism yes. and things like yes, that but that's, no yeah that's not true. in this interview yeah um would it be bad for business for him to say something to the effect of you know I I helped Vince and I learned a lot from him and but I thought for a while that I could I could do the job even better than he did. He won't even say that though. But is is that that's I, I feel like that would at least be nearer to honesty. <laughs> that's a very interesting point, Brent. I haven't thought about that. I think it would help business. 
You're building up your brand. You're building off them. Look, WWE's doing really well business-wise, not because they have a hot angle or Roman Reigns is suddenly really over as champion. They're doing really well business-wise because there's this uh, positive optimism that the company is going to do much better under Triple H. And so far, according to like cage match and some of the fan rating systems that we have and raw TV ratings. Nielsen. Yeah. Raw TV ratings. Live attendance is up. The business is up on an upward trajectory. It's not because of any specific angles or stars suddenly being a big draws. It's because the fa- lapsed fans have come back to the product and feel positive about it. And triple H in an interview saying, I think we're going to be even better than we were under Vince. I've got so many ideas. We're ready to go. We're going to be, this is going to be awesome. We're going to have new stars popping up left and right. I mean, that would get me as a fan really excited about the product. And I think there would be really positive uh, opinion on it on on the company and it would be healthier your company i think um but they're very protective of the legacy events and they probably will always be as long as the mcmahon family's name is attached to the product it could have been a more a little more maybe i guess you know skirting around the topic but he could have said something like listen uh growth is huge for our company it's huge for our investors and you're gonna have to make changes to grow and we were stagnant in a lot of areas and with me you know, we've seen, you know, nice growth in the one or two months I've been under. Like, if he were just honest, and I mean, that's what investors want to hear. They want to hear about growth. And he's not saying Vince sucked. He just, we had to make elements of change to increase growth. And they, you see the ratings. Do they do 62,000 people in Cardiff with Vince McMahon's creative? Like, I think uh, they don't immediately. Uh, the Cardiff show, I think, is kind of like, like a one off because um, they sold a lot of tickets before Vince stepped down for starters and just that's a, such a special show the first major event they've had in europe in 30 plus years yeah. um that's to me is kind of isolated but like things like the the survivor last year for survivor series they were really struggling to sell tickets in new york city this year for survivor series they sold out almost instantly in boston that's that's the trip the uh, the reason they did that was because people are really excited about the product in a way that they weren't for a really long time under vince and so I, I'm raising, like, couldn't he just say this? Wouldn't that be okay for business now? This, this is not just a business relationship that he has to face. It's, it's a personal and family relationship with his father-in-law and perhaps with his wife that are involved here. Um, I think you're right, Brandon. I think he could say that and it would be good for business. But we're talking about the, the, the other aspect is that, like you said, he's they're protective of Vince McMahon's legacy as the greatest wrestling promoter of all time. And they're not going, at least in the immediate aftermath of this transition period, acknowledge that there were deficiencies in the product under Vince. Yeah, the, the closest, and we're not going to, we don't have the, the quote ready here, but I, there, there, there is something he says in this interview about, you know, when he, you know, where Erewhon sort, of, sort of gives him this softball about how, you know, things feel different or are people more excited. And he's like, yeah, well, if you, you do it one formula for a long time, you know, I, th- I think people are more excited. But, you know, that's not quite saying that I'm doing things better. Uh, anyway, I thought there were some interesting comments here about uh, Stephanie McMahon's leave of absence that he comments on. Um, he talks about Stephanie McMahon's, uh, Stephanie McMahon announced her leave of absence on May 19th, a temporary leave of absence, said she would be back. And this is the version, according to, to Triple H, uh, after Stephanie decides that she's going to take this leave of absence. According to Triple H, Vince is like, great. Yeah, you need to take some time, take a breath. 
all that stuff, Triple H says. He, he goes on. Uh, she doesn't know what it's going to, or, yeah, doesn't know what it's going to be. A brief aside, Triple H speaks in a lot of sort of half sentences, it's just, as I noticed in transcribing this. Anyway, doesn't know what it's going to be, doesn't know what she's going to do, but just needs that time. Spend it with me, spend it with the kids, spend it with family. We're like three weeks into this as this process is unfolding, the drama of it all. And we're at one point where we're like three weeks in and we're going up to our lake house to relax and she's ready to go up there. This is the beginning of the, like, the full-on take a break, right? And we're literally in the car driving up there, and we get the phone call that says, we need you to step in. Would you step in as chairwoman and CEO in the now? And she's like, can I call you back in a little bit and think about this for a minute? And we spend the rest of the drive driving up there, and there was a time limit on that. Like, yeah, no, they need to know now, or they need to know. Um, How credible is this sound? Um, why are you skeptical of it? Well, let, let's let's go to, to Stephanie's comments uh, on the earnings call from August sixteenth, uh, where Brandon Ross is asking her how important it is to her personally to continue having to be in her family's legacy. Uh, Brandon Ross asks, "Can you tell investors whether being co CEO is what you want for the long term?" Brandon Ross, the uh, analyst from Lightshed, is sort of beating around the bush of, "Are you interested in, in W selling, or are you opposed to that?" Stephanie's response is. Uh, thank you. I've worked in WE for a long time. I've worked in this. In the, I've worked my entire life for the business. Um, I took a leave of absence, realizing that I needed a little bit of time with my family, given the grueling schedule and nature. I got about three weeks, which is more than a lot of other folks get, and I was not forced into returning as the chief, as the CEO and chairman in the interim position I offered. Um, th- th- that's the main difference that I, that I see here in her comments on August 16th on the earnings call. She says she offered to take the position and here's Triple H describing a situation in which, uh, she was called and asked to step in. So I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm skeptical of Triple H's description of Vince's response to her leave of absence where he says, Vince is like, great. Yeah. Need some time? Take a breath. All that stuff. That doesn't sound like the Vince McMahon that uh, I've, I've heard about all these years. Who, oh, yeah, you need to take time off? Yeah, time off. Go for it. No. He doesn't believe in time off, so why would he want that for his daughter that he wanted, we assume, wants to take over, wanted to take over the company? Did Vince have a lot of confidence in his daughter and his role in that role? And there's also somebody's got the story wrong, whether it, whether it's here or business insider, business insider, putting that story out soon after Stephanie McMahon's leave of absence saying that according to one W insider, uh, Vince is the one who pushed her out. Right. And that's why, okay. That would seem to, if we're, if we're, if we're under the um, suspicion that it sounds very atypical of Vince to be like, yeah, you can take time off. doesn't seem like Vince's personality, right? But if Vince did not view this person as particularly valuable or necessary for the company's success, perhaps he'd be okay with him taking time off. I'm sure it's much more complicated than than this. No, and it's his family, and it's his grand, it's his grandkids. I mean, I, I'm still, I'm still always very speculative of. We don't know the whole details of why she needed time off. Obviously, Triple H had a health scare that was probably yes. very emotionally draining on her and her family. There could have been something going on with. 
relatives, her children, something that required more time and they needed to take time off for that. Um, I think the speculation about, oh, Stephanie was bad at her job, so they got fi- this is actually her being fired. Um, seems I, th- I at think least it's a- very conspicuous, too, that it's okay, this happens on May 19th. The board is in the process of their investigation into Vince McMahon's NDA payments at that time. Stephanie and Triple H, Paul Levesque, are both members of the board of directors. It's hard to believe they wouldn't be aware of the investigation before she announces her leave of absence. That, of course, is not addressed in this interview. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, <clears throat> there's some talk about AEW here that Ariel Hawani brings up. Um, I don't know how much of this I'll read, but let's see. Ariel asks, I remember asking Nick Khan himself this question about AEW last August. He said, no, everything is competition. Entertainment is competition, so I'm just curious for you. Do you consider them, AEW, specifically as competition? Paul Levesque says, okay, again, and that's funny. I've heard Nick say that, and I've heard people say to him that that's a cop-out answer. It's not a cop-out. Everything is competition. If we pay attention to everything, you have to. Do we pay attention to AEW? Do I watch on a week-to-week basis? No. Am I aware of what's happening there? To a degree, right? I'm not following everything they do. There's sometimes I'll see somebody would say, well, that's very similar to what they, AEW, did. I just had no idea, you know? At the end of the day, you have to focus on what you're doing, right? You have to focus on your product. It doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. If people want to watch that product, there's nothing I could do about it. There's nothing that's going to prevent me from, prevent them from doing that, right? I focus on my product, make my product the best product it can possibly be. I have confidence in, in that ability for this team, for the amount of people, for the talent that we have. I'll put our talent against anybody, you know. That is how you are successful. Money Night Football is a massive thing for us. We have to pay attention to that. Absolutely, we pay attention to, to all sports on television. We're very strategic about where we put our events and how. Not because we think we'll try to block that or we think we'll do this. Like, no, we're going to put them in the places where we think we will do the best business. That's all it is. There's nothing more to it than that. And I think that is where people get lost in the small thinking of what happens on a day-to-day basis. It's the much bigger overall picture that needs to stay in front of you of where you're trying to get to. Um, a lot of words. Uh, not a lot of substance to, is, is my read of, the, of that answer. Uh, it speaks somewhat to what Tony would say a few days later in the, in the press conference. Uh Tony Khan expressing some displeasure at there being W events on his Labor Day weekend. Um, hey, Brandon, four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon was obviously the optimal time for NXT Worlds Collide. There would never be a better time for that event than four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon on Labor Day weekend. Mm-hmm. They, they could have put it on at eight, maybe. Um, the... Um, then two notable things here are first that he admits that AEW beat NXT, which is something you wouldn't necessarily expect WWE to openly admit. We know it's true, but it's something that they admit. And by saying they beat us would imply that there was some form of competition, even though he then says that it wasn't really competition. Well, you can't beat somebody if you're not in competition with them, right? Um, we, we might as well re- read the the, the last uh, excerpt from this from this interview yeah. uh, that that's related to what you're saying there. Um, so Erihuani asks if, if NXT was punished for not winning the Wednesday Night War, essentially. And Paul Levesque says, no, it's nonsense. No, look, people put so much pressure on this, all this competitive wars. It never was that. Look, first of all, they beat our developmental system. Good for them, right? 
No, it never was that. It was never, there was never even a pressure of like, you have to beat that. It was never that. It's put on the best product we could. Like I said, it shifted over time during the pandemic. All of that shifted over time. And the opportunity for us to change back to what it truly was, right? Um, he goes on to some stuff about NXT UK. But that, that's the pertinent section there. So can I just say one thing? Please. Hate the way Ariel Hawani asked this question. His, his full question was, so just curious, you know, what, uh, there was that story and that's why I appreciate you being here and maybe putting to rest some theories out there. NXT went head-to-head with AEW. It didn't beat them. We're going to punish it. Was that a real thing? That's, that's Ariel's. I just, he's like, Ariel asks it with the clear incredulousness of, these, these rumors, they're not possibly true, Paul Levesque. I'm glad you're here to talk about why these rumors are not true at all. Tell us how not true they are. That's, that's, literally, that's basically the tone of his question. He can trim that down and ask, the last, the second half of that question, which is NXT went head to head with AEW and it couldn't beat them. Do you feel like you were punished for that? That's how a real question would be asked. Instead, it's filled with these platitudes about how I'm glad you're here to put to rest these theories that people have, these wild conspiracy notions. I just, I, I, that's not the way you should ask a question from an unbiased news perspective. And, and while we have a media ethics lesson in mind from Phil Brooks, uh, who, who was Ariel Hawani's agent? Until a few years ago, I believe he's friends with Nick Khan, Brandon. You got to disclose mm-hmm. who your friends are. Okay. Um, I'll, when I do an interview, Brandon, with anyone, I just tell them my whole list of friends. I just take out my my uh, <laughs> phone and I just say, "Look, I'm friends with, you know, Cody and um, Amanda and all these people that you know." Like, that's how real journalists work. You disclose who your friends are. Um. I think one thing that's been really prominent in the Triple H public relations playbook is, is 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 this a proper use of the term gaslighting? Like what? No, that was that was never that. What are you talking about? No, you're just making such a big deal about this. What do you know? It was that's nonsense. It was never like that. Nobody ever told us that you have to beat them in the ratings. No, it it just changed over time. We've seen this in Paul of X final media appearances when he was overseeing NXT where the NIL program was either about to be launched or things were evidently changing. Nikon and Vince McMahon had made their faithful trip to the performance center and there was an evident change in, in talent recruitment and people were asking triple H about this. And he was like, no, it's we've, we've never changed. Right. It's always been this way. Um, nothing is, it, it seems as if, Paul Levesque, if only according to his public comments, which I think are different from his private comments and his private thoughts. It's as if and Triple H lives in this world that has never experienced change. It is extremely static. And that's the, that's the world that we're supposed to live in. We're supposed to believe exists. And he also mentioned, I mean, and he got appropriately ridiculed on social media for this by implying that NXT was just developmental when he over and over again said Mm. expressly not the case many times. I think he's as, as like directly answered questions along those lines is like, it's both. Yes. Well, I was going to say there should have been a follow up with the punishment question to put out specifics, break out that, you know, Road Dog and Ryan Katz were fired from NXT. Like there was major changes. William Regal and William Regal Gabe, and all Gabe that. Sapolsky. Gabe Sapolsky, like 
that's the question you've been asked because that is Scott Armstrong. A lot of people lost their jobs because NXT lost the war. Um, it's funny. Sometimes the, the conversations you have with people on the record are different from those you have uh, on background. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he talks to about NXT UK. Uh, as, as part of this response, uh, he says the decision to pull NXT UK back. It's and remember, he's kind of talking to a UK audience here. It's the right decision for us. We had plans to do what we're going to do now. Then, right before the pandemic hit, and it took it all away, we weren't able to do that. Our partnership with BT allowed it, allowed it to stay on the air the whole time. But the truth is, it was totally different from where we wanted it to go. We're pulling it off the air now so that we can get NXT Europe. Because get to get to NXT Europe, because it's tough to do both at the exact same time, to continue to operate a product but build a new product around it. We're going to pull it off for a little bit. We're going to bring NXT Europe back in a bigger way than it ever was before. And the intent is, hopefully, if we're successful at it, is to replicate that. So it's NXT Europe, it's NXT India, it's NXT South Africa, it's NXT Mexico. Be able to take those products, put them around everywhere, and eventually over time build brands in those markets locally and build World Cup scenarios around that where, you know, they're competing on that level all over the globe, and that tide then feeds into Raw and SmackDown. So he he's, sounds like he's describing global localization as still a, a strategy that's being developed. Um, NXT UK uh, is just... You can't do both at the same time. You can't do NXT Europe and go right, go right from NXT UK to NXT Europe. You have to pull it back first, right? I don't think so. I mean, I, there could have been a few things asked about NXT UK. Not only the releases, but what could have been asked is, is there still a relationship of progress in ICW? And we heard about the low salaries that the NXT UK talents had. That could have been asked, too. It's also he also alludes to the old original kind of vision. Remember, he had he there was the he had the uh, the chart with the all the NXTs on different continents, and that was something that we had heard under Vince had been kind of cold that they weren't going to have all these different NXT you know locations in different parts of the world. And Triple H at least gives the impression that under his vision, that's still the long term goal is to have like an NXT India and NXT South Africa and all these different emerging markets to eventually have this like global NXT domination. And it does raise the question of will WWE pursue that? I mean, there were talks about them potentially buying pro wrestling Noah at one point or buying into a Japanese wrestling promotion. Is that something that we could see happening under triple H now that Vince is gone after Vince kind of put the kibosh on that, or at least we're led to believe that. Yeah. He didn't mention Japan for what that's worth. Um, I I'm guessing what we're going to see is, his previous strategy was to put PCs and NXT brands on all these different locations around the world. I'm guessing what's going to end up happening here is, is NXT Europe is going to be a leaner, more broad version of, of NXT UK, where you're not running maybe a weekly show, but you have occasional shows in this area rather than doing all this sort of hard brick and mortar investment that may or may not be what you need to effectively develop talent. Um, I'm guessing that's what we're going to see. In some of the reports around NXT Europe have been um, not necessarily super encouraging. Obviously, they released a lot of the NXT UK talent, which you think they would hold on to if they're big on building NXT Europe. And I think the it Observer... It's going to be bigger than what the NXT yeah. UK was. Yeah, I mean, I think the Observer wrote that 
NXT Europe, at least, was something that was being discussed more as a theory than a real thing at this point. And there haven't, there aren't really a ton of express plans for doing that. Um, I've heard people mention that with NXT, uh, with, I mean, with the UK leaving the European Union and the kind of the issues that it comes with getting European international talent into that country, this might be a way for them to reassess their vision for their European wwe model and that maybe moving nxt out of the uk and into another european country where it's easier to get foreign talent licenses to work could be something as simple as them relocating from london as their headquarters to like dublin ireland or another uh, which is would be another english-speaking country uh in europe so like my main takeaway from this interview was my feeling up to this point has been pretty optimistic about what W is going to be able to do without Vince. I guess I've been a big proponent of, of the notion that a lot of W's problems come down to at least their problems with developing consumers, developing fans, selling tickets, encouraging TV ratings and so forth has been down to the issues around Vince McMahon being the head of creative. Mm-hmm. And we've now we've seen him out of the way now, finally in this you know reality that was almost unfathomable. Maybe he would have to die or maybe his health would have to be affected for this to ever happen. And now it's happening. And now we're seeing some things improve. And, and I feel like that, I mean, my, what I've been yelling about for a long time is being validated. Um, and I'm still optimistic about the creative, I guess just the, the feeling of trust and the feeling of credibility around Paul Vec as, as an executive uh, was not encouraged after my, listening to this interview he's not credible to me when it comes to AEW he's not credible to me talking about NXT UK he's not credible to me talking about AEW which are and and it's not credible talking about Vince um I think he's sort of gaslighting the audience of this interview he's more media friendly than Vince was obviously Vince was maybe the most participate yeah he was he was not you know so he's definitely more media friendly than Vince but is he um is his, are his public comments really going to be frequently interesting or valuable? I would say no. They'll only be valuable in the sense that he may say some things that contradict other things that have happened. I, guess, I, I would as, like to think that there's there's a there's a balance of like he could be more honest while while not burying the company. Why would why would you think Triple H? What in his career would indicate one of of uh, honest public perception though? Uh, I don't know the the. But I think there's like a, a good business result in building trust with your audience, even if it's in these sort of downstream interviews um, that would help help the company. And maybe this is not the person to expect it from, but I think it's it's possible. And I think he's and we'll say say this, too, like we're, here we are in a day where there's there's real questions about Tony Khan's management style. And I don't think there are similar questions. Like what, what may be a weakness for Tony Khan in terms of managing all these big personalities and egos may not be as big of a problem for, for Paul Levesque. I believe that's probably the case. Um, Tony Khan is subject to the reality that individual stars have a bigger role to play in his business model than WWE's current business model, where no individual star really can make that big of a difference on the bottom line. So you don't have someone like CM Punk who uh, is uh, 
you know, able to kind of control, have a, have be, be unprofessional and get away with it in that way. I guess Brock Lesnar would be, I I think that, that being the the case in WWE has been, has just been a byproduct of Vince doing bad creative for a decade or two. Um, and I think you could even look at, look at Roman Reigns and I think Roman Reigns is by far their biggest regular star, especially for excluding Brock Lesnar. That's that, you know, formula. Um, and I think Roman Reigns inhabits a similar place in terms of importance and economic value that, that CM Punk does in their respective companies. Um, so if he does, he may, Paul Vick may or may not view it that way, as you described. But I think the reality is, is another thing. Um, and I, th- I tend to think that Paul Vick does view that star. And I think Vince even viewed that stars could be important. Yeah, I, I guess it, I'm, I'm sort of not not agreeable to the idea that like the brand is the draw and that that's that's an intentional situation i think it's just more of a byproduct of somebody who couldn't create stars really well um yeah and tried to even who has been who's who has more effort and resources been poured into into making him a major major star than roman reigns over the last well years. yeah and that's always that's always been my pushback in the sense that people make it seem like Vince isn't trying to make a star. He doesn't want to make a big star because he's afraid they're going to leave for Hollywood like The Rock or John Cena did. And that's I always think that's don't excuse Vince's incompetence for uh, intention. It's all yeah, it's all just look at how brilliant it is. Look at how brilliant this incompetence is. <laughs> yeah, it's a well. The, the, there's a reason why they haven't been able to get someone over. It's because Vince hates it. It's like no, well, he's dedicated more resources to getting this one guy over. He can just afford to be more stubborn in his initial thinking and not listen to other people um, because of the security that comes from the way the company is organized and the money that they can generate year over year thanks to media rights and just being an established legacy brand that people will be attached to no matter what. No matter what scandals pop up or no matter how bad the product is, people will continue to watch it in a large enough audience to make the company very, very valuable um, as a media company and as a torn brand. I, I, I guess what I'm saying here is like I think Paul Vick is too smart to believe the things that he's saying here. As opposed and, to Vince. And who, per, yeah, who, who, who's, who's just genuinely out of touch with, with what the business was. Whose brain was mush, yes. So, yeah, so I think Paul Vick is too smart to say to, to believe the things that he's saying here, and I think there's also a PR strategy where you could come off better and develop more trust with wrestling fans and other people of influence who who influence wrestling fan trust. Which yeah, is I think that's fair business. All right, we're we're way past yeah, Jesse's time limit here. Yeah, we got two quick super chats. If, if Jesse, you have to go, that's fine. Yeah. We can deal with super chats, but I'm okay for the next few minutes. All right, uh, just real quick here. Big Time Baxter has two. So this one, uh, it looks like the Vince allegations have cooled since he retired. How likely was the person leaking stuff uh, was aiming to bring Vince down? I think the person leaking stuff was aiming to bring Vince down. Otherwise, yeah. why wouldn't they have leaked it in the first place? Whether yeah, exactly. it was somebody that people would recognize as an eternal name in the company looking to seize power, I have no idea. It seems likely that it was someone on, on the board of directors, but I have no sense of who it might have been or whether that was an executive member or whether that was an independent member. And it may just, it may not even necessarily be somebody whose intent was to get him removed, but to make people aware of it and let the, let the consequences fall where they may. But real quick, our last super chat, once again, from big time Baxter, how's raw third hour 
performing under Triple H lately. I will open up the WrestleNomics viewership spreadsheet that you can get access to at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics for $5 a month, including lots of other benefits. Um, third hour, I'm pretty sure, has been doing better. Uh, but to give you some sort of actually a quantitative answer. Um, so what I have here in front of me is a 8 to 10 o'clock comparison. So from 8 to 10 o'clock, total viewership last week was down 10% week before that 7%, 5%, 4%. And that's mostly in the Triple H era. Before that, it's 19%, 5%. And usually it is a little bit worse than that. Um, demo, though, why don't we just put this on the screen? Because this is going to make a lot of sense if I just describe it. Um, so if I go to share the screen, share the, um, we're going to share the spreadsheet. So what I'm looking at here, which is conditionally formatted in red and green, what, what we see, especially in the demo, I suppose, is, is the major difference. We actually see some increase between 8 and 10, that, that meaning that the third hour was more viewed. The third hour was more viewed than the first hour. We saw it. We have seen that. Well, we did see that in the last couple of weeks of Vince. But we have seen it. I don't know. I don't know if this is super significant, in fact. I want to say from reporting on the on the on raw ratings over the last few weeks that it has been a better retention of viewership, um, but it's not super clear here, especially this August first episode where it was substantially down. That is fourteen percent in the demo. And uh, lastly, not a question but a compliment for Jesse here from MJ. Uh, Jesse's article was fantastic and very well written. Thank you, MJ. You can read Jesse's article right now on Russellomics dot com. It's out there, free for everybody, no subscription required. It yeah, is, thank you, MJ. Um, the article is about kind of examining how we discuss and analyze wrestling, especially the week-to-week wrestling television format, and how our perspective can be skewed by the sheer amount of discussion and analysis we consume through social media and how that may impact our ability to both assess current trends in the company as well as the quality of the product when we are forced to either give or receive takes about the product on a week-to-week basis where stories are often incomplete. Um, I kind of wrote it like I wasn't 100% confident uh, in kind of the thesis, but it got really good reviews, and people have said very nice things about it, including MJ just now. So uh, I would definitely recommend reading it. We we appreciate everyone. We've also been asked in response to your article if if this means this is the end of this podcast. Right, we're all part of the problem, and I freely admit that. <laughs> I, I, I would say that we're not, but I would say like what your article is about is about analyzing content, and that for the most part is not what we do. We analyze the business and the motivations that result in the content. Well, if I if I touch on this real quick, someone mentioned to me that they disagreed with the article because they saw this as like kind of like an anti-intellectualism. Mm. format of wrestling that I was arguing that people shouldn't be critical of the product. They should just consume it and they shouldn't sit say, back and, and enjoy and right? get You'll... ready for more product. Right. Um, don't question and, it. And just exactly. And I would, that's the, I understand how people come to that conclusion, but my argument is, is that I think, yes, it's fine to, to be critical of the product and it's fine to give uh, assessments, you know, after, you know, give your, give your AEW thoughts or your raw reviews or whatever you want to do after each week, but be more cognizant of we are not seeing the full story develop um, week to week. I think the CM Punk and John Moxley angle that has unfolded 
I think is a good example in that people were extremely confused after the last few dynamites about what this angle was or where it's going to go. And everyone had their takes on how, what a terrible build this was and all of that. But I think if you step back and you look at the week to week development of it, it's a pretty straightforward story that I think made sense, but that was kind of lost in people being very confused and having to give immediate reactions to things like CM Punk being squashed uh, on dynamite two weeks before the pay-per-view. But I, 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 th- I have like a Vince centric view of, of the business, but I think, you know, we're all sort of messed up by what, what Vince has made so normal in that it, it not, not that there won't be raw and dynamite review podcasts for, for as long as those shows exist, but that there's a lot of frustrating stuff that, that encouraged that sort of analysis because of the particular way and I would argue incompetent way that Vince booked his product for as many years as he did that and that that sort of just justly motivated all of these sort of you know uh, you, you, you come together and share our trauma circles and, and our frustrations and you know just sort of this the air airing of grievances together right I think with WWE Vince taught the fan base to not be patient with the product because if you were patient with the product, you were going to be um, disappointed because the long-term story apparatus was completely broken. I think with other wrestling promotions, they at least have done enough in some cases like AEW or new Japan pro wrestling to deserve the benefit of the doubt when people are questioning immediate, immediate reactions to each episode of television. Well, as opposed to WWE, I think that reputation over time has been earned for people to be pessimistic about the product based on certain segments, because we have a long-term pattern that suggests that you should be pessimistic because optimism is not rewarded in that company. Perhaps that'll be different under Triple H. Yeah. Let it play out. This is something that Triple H has been told, has told the media and told the public about what you need to, how you need to watch main roster, watch Vince's product. And, and people are, people are more optimistic about it. It's definitely, I think if, 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 Vince was still running the company and they gave that clash of the castle finish with, you know, Roman Reigns winning because a random member of his family popped up and, and screwed Drew McIntyre. I think if Vince was still in charge, people would be, Oh my God, this is terrible. Same old shit, blah, blah, blah. Triple H is in charge. People have way more patience and sudden optimism about the product. And so they're much more likely to, to be forgiving of what I would consider to be, a, you know, bad booking or disappointing booking. We we are now going head to head, head to head with Raw, and uh, I, I don't want to be accused of anti-competitive behavior, so we should probably wrap up uh, quickly. Plugs, Jesse, you go first. Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Jesse Collings, J E S S E C O L L I N G S. You can check out my podcast, Gentlemen's Wrestling Podcast. It's right here on YouTube. You can find it. If you just Google on YouTube, uh, last episode was me. I did a solo pod. Um, I had a last minute cancellation. So I tried out some solo audio where I talked a lot about Jim Ross and his role in AEW and kind of my thoughts on his current performance and then perhaps uh, unnecessity of him being on the broadcast moving forward. Um, so people can check that out. That got a lot of positive reviews as well. Um, like I said, I also wrote an article kind of about Jim Ross. That's on VoicesOfWrestling.com. Um, but all that stuff, if you just follow me on Twitter, you'll, you'll be able to, to keep up with all of that. Yes. Jesse has his own slide now. 
Nice. I do. My logo, I do not have a bigger version of that logo um, because I did not pay for the like premium version of the logo maker. So it did not. So I just took a smaller version of it. Everything about this is, is, is a, well, it, 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 it's in, it's in developmental. Okay. Uh, go. Yeah. Chris Gullo, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, my other podcast, rediscovering the Indies. We just released part two of Dragon Gate USA. We discussed, uh, the second, third and fourth show from there. Uh, um, we discussed them running labor day weekend in Chicago in 2009. So it wasn't an inventive idea from, uh, with all in uh, and all that. But uh, we also discuss just stars like John Moxley, Mustafa Ali, Johnny Gargano, and a lot of people getting their first exposure with Dragon Gate USA. So, okay. You can subscribe to WrestleNomics. The best way to support WrestleNomics is to go to patreon.com slash WrestleNomics, subscribe for $5 a month. You get access to my TV ratings reports that come out nearly every day. You get access to the viewership spreadsheet that we just looked at for a, a moment. You get access to the slides, including the slides for this program, as well as the industry reports, the annual ones for 2020, 2019, and 2021, as well as additional occasional reporting and analysis that I do at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. I believe uh, Chris Jericho has outed himself as, as a WrestleNomics subscriber, among other people who work in the industry who are, who are subscribing to WrestleNomics on Patreon. So that's all for this week. Like, subscribe, recommend this to a friend. We appreciate it. Talk to you next time. Bye. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.